You are listening to the MZBC Students Greenhouse Podcast. For more information about Mount Zion Baptist Church, go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MZBC Students. If, uh, if, if you haven't, if you don't have a Bible with you or don't own a Bible at all, those Bibles in the windowsills, those are for you. Um, so they're always, they're always there. If you don't have one or you bring somebody who doesn't have one, they're welcome to take one and write their name in the front of it and, uh, and it'll be their Bible. Uh, I think we've given away like, oh man, we've probably given away three, 400 Bibles over the years like that. Um, so feel free. All right. Now, if like you just forget one, don't like steal one from us or something. You know, you know what I'm saying. It'll, that's the way that works. So, uh, just show of hands. How many of y'all use Time Hop? Time Hop. There's like two of us. Three. So here's a, here's the interesting thing about okay. There's this app called Time Hop. Now, <clears throat> I understand why you don't have it because you're a bunch of babies. You're not babies, but you're very young, right? And so, like the amount of time that you've been on the internet posting selfies of yourself, it's a relatively short. You know, and compared to like me, who was there at the beginning, but there was this one day at the University of Alabama when this word Facebook showed up on campus and it was like, there's this thing called Facebook and you have to get it. So we got Facebook and like all you could do was just post a profile picture and like, that was basically it. It did nothing. Right. And so like day one, man, like I was, I was there, you had to have a college email address and and so I've been posting junk on the internet for a long time now. Most of it is embarrassing and um, useless. And so there's this app called TimeHop, which searches your history. It's like the Facebook memories thing or whatever. It searches your history, and every day it just shows you all of the things you've posted that same day and all the years past. And so mine goes back like 12 years. I was a different person 12 years ago. I looked like a 14-year-old, although I was not exactly 14. Um, and so... Uh, when I go, when I have, so every, you know, I open Tom Hop and it, it reminds me of, of the past. And so I'm getting older now, man. Like I'm, I'm 32, you know, I hurt my back and you know, I'm, you know, age is, you know, it's a thing. I got three kids today. I just feel old. And so, you know, you open up Tom Hop and it gives you this, this like window into the past, like who I was at all these different points. And I see like pre-kids Britain and there's this youthfulness. And this levity to life, and I'm like, wow, that guy looks like he has nothing, like no problems in the world, because he didn't, right? And then you know, it kind of keeps going, and then this stuff. It's, 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 it's good to reminisce sometimes. Um, I like I like going back through old pictures and looking at stuff, and I like going back to high school days and college days, looking at me and Jessica going to prom, and like, why did anybody let me leave the house in that baggy suit? And you know, it's, it, it's good. It, 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 there's something about looking back that it, it, it lets you know that there's some progress and some days it doesn't feel like there's a lot of progress in who we are and some, you know, it's good to take a, take a glance back at who we were um, and then compare that to who we are now because hopefully, hopefully, especially in, in, as Christians, hopefully we're growing, we're progressing, there's movement there and so when you take a look back, it should be a point of encouragement. I love it when um, high school students uh, go to college and they stick around and, and they become greenhouse leaders. 
That's, that's always a hilarious thing to me because what happens is when we put freshmen and sophomores, we put all them in junior high greenhouse. Okay, now you've all, you know, if, you've, if you've been around Greenhouse a little while, you might have been in Junior High Greenhouse. It's a little bit different. That's why we have them in the green gym where there's a tile floor and metal walls, and they can just, like, slam their little bodies into whatever they want to, and it can't break it, all right? They can sling water bottles up in the air. Like, you just can't hurt that building. And even if you do, no one cares, okay? So that's, that's why they're there. They're like a bunch of little smelly tornadoes, okay? And you were once a little bitty smelly tornado. You were. And so what happens is, is high school seniors, they graduate, we make them, you know, junior high greenhouse leaders, and they get over there, and they're like, they're the worst. They don't listen to anything I say. Like, they just, they just, like, wander away. They get lost sometimes. Like, how did they get lost? You're an eighth grader. Like, you get lost? Yeah, they get lost all the time. Got to go find them. They're, like, in the senior adult hall hanging out with 80-year-olds. I don't know how they got over there, you know? And they do, and they're like, I was never like that, was I? Now, I've been here seven years which means I know what they used to be like. And then I had this moment of satisfaction because I used to have to go find them in the weird bathroom, like on the other side of campus because they wandered away. I, I'd like, I, I, I took them on centrifuge. Like, that's a terrifying thing. Junior high kids on a college campus and they just get to wander in. Like, I, I, I lived through that with them. And there's a satisfying moment when they say, I, I was never, Britain, tell me, I was never like that, was I? And I get to say, oh yeah. Not only that, you were worse let me remind you of your insane, like, like the stories that you forget about yourself. Like, I, I was never like that. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. You were a big old mess. And now you're a smaller mess. <laughs> and then you're going to get to be in college, you're going to look at who you are now, and you're going to look back and say, I cannot believe I did that, wore that, said that, dated him. Like, what was I doing? It's good to look back sometimes because it reminds us where we've come from. And then by com- comparison, or when we look at where we are, there's some, some really deep encouragement there. Ephesians chapter 2, as we're continuing our book, our study the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds um, the people he's writing to, these, these Gentile Christians, uh, he reminds them who they once were. And he leads them to have just this moment here, right here in the middle of uh, Ephesians chapter 2, um, to look back. And where they came from. Now, when I say they're, they're Gentile Christians, Gentiles just means non-Jewish. So they're people who didn't have a Jewish background, who didn't have a churchy background. Like they just were, they were as far from God as they could be. And this is what, he, what he says in verse 12, when he reminds them of this, he, he says, remember that you were at that time, you're separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. That's a bleak look back. He's like, guys, I, w- I want to remind you, like, I, wanna, I want you to just look back. I want you to remember where you came from. Like, you, you, were, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's where you came from. He says a few things. They, they, were, they were Christless. And if you're a Christian in the room, the idea of being Christless is scary. It's almost unfathomable sometimes for those of us who have been Christians a long time and walking with Jesus. To be Christless is a scary thing. So he says you, you are Christless. You are, you are strangers to the people of God. Like, that's, that's what it says. You are, you are alienated from the commonwealth. Like, you are, you are aliens. Like, you are, you are completely unconnected from 
the, the people of God. You had no community, you had no connection, you had no unity, you had no nobody. You're aliens, strangers. You know that Lecrae song? No? Good. All the, all the illustrations tonight, nobody knows what I'm talking about. Good. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he says you're, you're alienated from the people of God, and you're, you're, you're also strangers to the covenants of promise. That, that's the promises of God. All the things that we, that we come to know and trust and rely on for our eternity, the promises of God that, that he loves you. Like basic stuff like that, that there's a God who loves you, cares about you, wants you, that he gave himself for you. All those promises. He says, you were strangers to that. You didn't know any of that. And then he goes on and says, you, and you are hopeless. Have you ever been in a moment that, that, you, that felt hopeless? Have you ever been in a moment where it just seemed like everything um, was against you and there was just no way out? There was no hope. You just didn't know what to do. These hopeless, just crushing kind of moments. Maybe you've been in a moment like that. And he says, no, no, before, before Jesus, when you were Christless, like, it was just hopeless. It wasn't a moment of hopelessness. It was just hopeless. Because you were without God in the world. You were alone. It's a bleak look back. It's not just the story of the people that he's writing to. It's also my story. It's, it's, it's your story. It's every one of our story that, that we, like, if you look far enough back, that there was a time when you, you were without Jesus. If you're a Christian in the room, there was a point when you were without Jesus. For me, like, I've been a Christian a long time. I mean, I've based my entire life around the person of Jesus. I walk daily with Jesus. Like, for me to imagine being without Jesus is, is a scary thing. The one who gives me hope, the one who gives me peace and grace, the one who has forgiven me, like, to be without Christ is terrifying. But there was a moment where I stood before God with all the guilt of my sin still on me. Like, I, I didn't have him. risk of that, the danger of that. If you're a Christian in the room, you've been walking with Jesus for a while, just, just imagine now like, having to live life without Jesus. That should be a terrifying thing for you. If you're living a life that's reliant on Christ and you're trusting him, like you're, you, you know him personally now, to imagine ripping that away from you somehow, to live life, like to live life without him, having known him, should be just unfathomable for us. And if it is fathomable, if you're like, well, it really probably wouldn't change that much, well, <laughs> um, either you don't know him or you don't know him well. To be Christless is unfathomable. Then uh, to be to be separated from the people of God. Maybe um, maybe you can remember the first time you came to Greenhouse. This happens all the time where people have. Um, I talked to somebody at Fall Retreat where they, it's, I've never been a part of a church. I've never been a part of a student ministry. I've never had this many people around me who actually want to like hang out and talk to me. I just go to school and there's people there, but then I just go home. I've never had, I've never had a community like this, a family like this. Do you remember when you didn't? If you plugged in hard, man, this is like, this is like home for you. Do you remember when you didn't have it? It was just like the people you like chat with on PlayStation Live or like whatever. I mean, and that was it. There's a small group. There's nobody asking if you're okay. There's nobody praying for you. Do you remember what it was like? Do you ever want to go back there? He says, you were, you're Christless. You were, you're strangers to the people of God. You didn't have a church. And he says, you were also, you were also separated from the promises of God. 
Think about the promises of God. Like if you're a Christian in the room, the promises of God that you trust your eternity to. Promise that, that he will never leave you or forsake you. So in the darkest of your moments that you've got a God to rely on. What if that promise wasn't there? So in the darkest of times, you were just alone. What about the promise that, that God um, will forgive? And so then your guilt isn't crushing, your sin isn't forever, it's forgiven. And so there's a, a levity there, there's a lightness, there's, a, there's forgiveness. You trust that forgiveness all the time. What if that forgiveness wasn't promised and you were a stranger to that promise? You didn't, have, you didn't know that forgiveness. And all the weight, all the guilt just sat on you, just sat on your shoulders still. Think about that. That's where we were. Christless, we're separated people of God, we're separated of the promises of God, and it says we were without hope. Well, yeah, we were, because we're Christless and we're separated people of God, we're separated of the promise of God. Of course we're hopeless. Without hope. Do you remember, if, if you're a Christian, do you remember having, there, there being a time when you didn't know what happened at the end of your days? When you breathed your last, I don't know. Maybe something happened, I don't know. And now you have this eternal hope for glory that you're going to spend, the, spend eternity in the presence of God in heaven. Like, there's this hope there. It's eternal hope. There's also a present hope for, like, today that, that God is in control, that all things work together for the good of those who, are, who love God and are called according to his purpose, that there's a good God who is at work. He's bringing meaning out of the terrible. He is for us. That's hope. Without, without that hope, like just terrible is just terrible. And life is just awful. And there is no hope. There's no meaning. There's no purpose to it. It's just empty drudgery. Do you remember being hopeless without God in the world? This week as I've looked at this passage, just looked at that one verse and just rested in that and tried to, tried to remember and then tried to like fathom what life would be like having known this Jesus that I've trusted my eternity to and the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that he just pours on me every day. Having known that, just imagining going back, it's terrifying. And the obvious, the obvious point out of that is it, that there's still people that I know that are in that exact same point. The point that I'm imagining and I'm terrified of, there's still people, maybe even people in the room who are still in that position. They don't have to imagine it's who they are. They're Christless, separated from the people of God, separated from the promises of God, without hope. They don't have to imagine it. It's just the way it is. Life doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't have any eternal hope. It doesn't have some God who's um, upholding things and forgiving things and, and bringing things together and giving things meaning. It doesn't, they don't, there's no hope. It's just terrible. They don't have to imagine it. Maybe you're in the room and, and you, you're like, I, I don't have to imagine it. I'm still there, man. Like, I don't know this Jesus. I would love to tell you about the Jesus that I know and trust my life to. Because I can't imagine going through one day without him. And if you just went through today without him, I need you to know that's not the way that God intended you to live this life. That hopelessness, that despair, that endlessness of it, it's not the way he intended you to live this life. 
That's why the next verse matters so much. In verse 13, it says this, that, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now, in Christ, you who were once far off, that's all of us, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of of Christ, there's this, there's this beauty and this good news. It's just like, we're just remember how, where you were. And now, like, look where you've been brought. Like, in Christ, by the blood of Christ, you've been brought near. You were once far off. You're separated from the people of God. You're separated from God himself. You're, you're separated from the promises of God. You had no hope because you were that far away. But God came for you and scooped you up and brought you near. You who were far off. Maybe you're still, still far, off, far off. And that, okay, that, you get that. But if you're a Christian, you trust your life to Jesus, you know Jesus. You, you used to be far off, and it says, you who are far off have been brought near. Think about that image, that being brought near. Like you're, you're, you're scooped up, picked up, piggyback road. Like, like you, Jesus threw you over his shoulders and, and picked you up wounded and broken and a mess and, and, and carried you to rescue brought you near. Yeah. I've been soaking on that, that image of that Jesus picking me up and carrying me back from the hopelessness from where I've been. And it says that he did this. He brought us near by the blood of Christ. Now, the blood of Christ is it's a, it's a term, it's indicating the sacrifice that Jesus made, that Jesus bled and died on the cross in our place. Now, if... Um, uh, if, if there was a point when, maybe this is like your first night being in church like an ever, and, and, and we, we sing about the blood of Jesus and we, we talk about the blood of Jesus and um, we, we kind of like, it, it, we celebrate the blood of Jesus. Do you remember when that was weird to you? you remember like when you first showed up and like we're keep singing about the blood of this guy Jesus? And you're like, y'all are kind of sadistic. It's kind of, it's, it feels a little weird, right? Like if you're new around here, like you guys talk about blood all the time. I don't talk about blood except Jesus' blood. I don't like seeing blood. I don't like touching it. Like if you're bleeding, I'm going to go find somebody to help you. I'm not going to help you. All right? I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with you and your blood. I don't want to look at it, touch it. Don't you tell me about it. I don't care. I'm sorry you bled. Don't tell me about it. Personal problem. Okay? It's just not something I'm interested in talking about. And then we sing these songs and we're just like singing about the blood of Jesus all the time. It's weird, right? At least it is when you first show up. And then you start figuring out like what this blood represents. Because the, what the blood represents is that Jesus himself sacrificed his very blood. Like bled and died in my place. Like, I was supposed to bleed and die for my sin. And instead, Jesus did it for me. And so there's this, it, like his blood, his sacrifice is the vehicle that, that brings salvation, that brings rescue. He bled and died in my place. His, his blood was a substitute for mine. He died for me. You, have you ever thought real deep about how that works? Like transactionally, how that works? It goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 4, it says that basically the, the guilty, anybody who's guilty. This is the Old Testament law way before Jesus. Like this is the, like the, the, Old Testament sacrificial system. This is the way it was set up. 
the guilty, anybody who's guilty, shall lay his hand on the head of, of whatever's going to be the burnt offering. So it's usually a ram, like a, like a, it can be a goat, it's a, it's a ram, all right? So the guilty shall lay his head, uh, hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So this is the way this would work, that there would be this animal that was going to be sacrificed for somebody or a group of people's sin. And they would, they would literally, they would take their hands and they would place it on the head of, of that animal. And, and then like God would honor that as like transferring their guilt onto the head of that animal. So that, that animal's now holding the guilt of that, people, that, that person, that group of people. And then that animal would be sacrificed for the guilt that was now on that animal. So that, that animal would be the stand-in for the, the, the guilt of that person. Okay, and so so there was this the, you tra- the transferring of, of this guilt, but an animal is not a perfect sacrifice. The animal didn't. I mean, it's an animal's animal, right? So it's not a, it's not a perfect sacrifice. It's not permanent. It's never good enough. And so Jesus comes and he lives this perfect life that you couldn't live, like blameless, sinless life that you like you were never going to do. He, he he did it right. Made himself perfect before God, because he was God. Live the perfect life you couldn't live, and then gave his perfect life in place of yours. Traded all of your mess for his perfection. And then invites you to, to just to just transfer your guilt onto him. Which he then bled for. I think it's worth remembering that sacrifice. Um, for sin has always been a brutal and terrible thing. There's nothing glamorous about um, a sacrifice, especially the sacrifice of Christ. It's a brutal, brutal and terrible thing. And the only reason it's worth celebrating is because of the goodness which it brought, the mercy which it brought, that God in his goodness and his grace and his mercy chose to do something so terrible for people who were so terrible, who didn't deserve that, didn't, didn't deserve to, to be allowed to transfer their guilt onto this perfect one. But instead, but, but he did. He, he literally, he invites you, the invitation, he invites you to transfer all of your guilt and sin onto him. And I want him to pay for it. I don't know if you would have asked him to do that. Like if he, if he stood before you and you had a conversation, I don't, I don't, I don't think you would have asked him to do that. So he did it before you were ever born, before you could ever ask, completed the sacrifice. It was already done. It's over with. The gift's been offered. And so now it's just, it's like, I've already done this. I've already sacrificed myself for you. And if you'll just, if you'll just let me handle your, your guilt for you, I will. That's why we celebrate the guilt. So I, like so many of us in the room, I've come to a point where we've understood that Jesus gave himself as a gift to me. And I've accepted that gift. I've allowed him to pay for all my guilt. So me, who was without Christ, who was separated from the people of God, who was separated from the promise of God, who was literally hopeless, for, not just for this life, but for eternity. I've, I've been scooped up, carried on the back of Jesus, brought near to God, where I didn't deserve to be. Because God offered him, God sent his son, Jesus, as a gift to take all my guilt on himself 
and pay for it once and for all. I can't imagine living in the day, one day, without knowing and trusting that. I think it's good for us to remember. I think it's good for us to remember where we came from. I think it's good for you to remember um, what your life was like, what your sin was like, what your um, relationships, what your hopefulness was like before Jesus. And then come to a point where you say, like, uh, you look and, and compare, like, the life before Jesus to the life you have now in Christ and, and, and reflect and remember the goodness that he's brought. I think remembering who we were and what Jesus has done drives us to worship. It drives us to repentance. It drives us to, to the feet of Jesus to say thank you. You know, our prayer time earlier, we started and ended thanking um, Jesus for what he's done. If you had a hard time thinking about what Jesus has done for you, um, that matters. If you don't know that Jesus died on the cross for you, if you haven't trusted that he did that for you, what that means is you're not a Christian. You can come to as many greenhouses as you want to. And until you accept the gift, until you trust yourself to Jesus, you're not, you're not a Christian. He can't bring you near unless you let him. He's not going to force it on you. So I wanted you to remember tonight. I also wanted you to have the chance um, to choose. If you never made that choice, you can this past weekend, there were five teenagers at Fall Retreat that made that choice. I got to have conversations with, with some of them, and um, that's one of the biggest privileges of my life, is getting to sit down with somebody um, who's at a point where they have questions about what it means to follow Jesus and, and helping them figure out how to do that. I remember I sat down with somebody uh, after Greenhouse one night, and um, they were at a point where they said, look, I, I, I get it. It clicked tonight. I understand. Like, I I believe it, that Jesus died for me. I believe it. And I've never believed it really before. I heard the story. I, I knew the story, but I, I, I never really believed it to be true. And I, I believe it's true. And so I said, look, can I, just, can I just walk you through the whole thing like one more time just to make sure that like, any questions come up, you can ask the questions. I don't want you to do anything that you're not ready to do. So look, can I just walk through the whole thing? And, I, and, and they said, yeah. And so I started walking through the gospel and explaining like who they were and then what Jesus has done. And then I get to the point where like Jesus, Jesus gave his life for you. Like he literally bled on a cross. Like gave himself over to be beaten and tortured to die in your place. Knew that was where he was going. Knew that if he went back to Jerusalem, he was going to be killed. So he willingly went to Jerusalem to be killed for people like me and like you. There's a girl, we were sitting like, or I think right in front of that window over there and, and we were just having this conversation and everybody else is gone and, and like, it just, she just starts to cry and I say, hey, okay uh she said she said one sentence she just said i i just i can't believe he would do that for me yeah i i can't either i'm can't either but he did the mystery of the gospel is this that jesus deems you worth dying for even though you're not by our standards, by my standards, you're not worth Jesus dying for. But by Jesus' standards, you are. Jesus deems you worth dying for. You have to choose if Jesus is worth living for. Let me pray for you. Um, Father, I... Uh, help us to remember how far you've brought us. Help us to remember what it was like before we had you, before we trusted you, 
what it was like to be hopeless, what it was like to be separated from you, from your people. Give us a heart for, the, for those who are still separated and um, give us a heart of thankfulness that you've brought us near. Help us to be thankful. Help us to remember. Just as I pray.